If you have your New Testaments, turn with us this morning to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. If you're familiar with this section of John's Gospel, this is an area in which Jesus is preparing and moving toward the crucifixion. This chapter is the intercessory prayer, often referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ as he was anticipating going to Calvary and paying the price for our sins. It's really a conversation in regards to him speaking back to the Father and then including us as he's praying for us. He was praying that we, filled with the Holy Spirit, could live for the glory of God. That was his mission, to point people to God, and in so pointing them to the Father, they would come through him. Chapter 17, particularly verses 1 through 5, these things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I glorify thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now glorify thou me, together with thyself. Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. As Jesus is praying and offering up this priestly prayer to the Father, and as you read through chapter 17, there is a little two-letter word that's repeated several times. Verse 2, verse 11, verse 14. Verse 16, verse 18, verse 21, verse 22, verse 23. You who were looking there, what is that word? The word is as, A-S, as. So often as Jesus is praying here, he's saying, Father, I want you through me to do for them, us, as you have done for me and as I have done for you. And so as we read these verses and we begin to live the Christian life, we're being challenged to live for the glory of God. If you ask Jesus what his purpose was, he would say, first, for the glory of God, for the glory of the Father, and that I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Dying on the cross, he paid the price for our sins. And so as he offered this prayer, he was saying, Father, all that you've given me, I am giving to them. So notice what the scriptures tell us here. In verse 2, we have the same kind of life Jesus Christ has. We have eternal life. He has eternal life. And so therefore, we have the same kind of life. In verse 11, we have the same security as Christ. The same security. He says, uh, to, uh, as he's speaking, and I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. 
And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep them in thy name. Thy name which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are. The security that we have. Do you think God's ever lost one of his kids? Not at all. Not at all. You see, when we by faith come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're coming as another son or daughter into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also have the same hostility from the world. Look at verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus is saying, you have seen, and we have certainly read, the hostility toward him that ultimately came to the point to where a perfect human sacrifice was offered without sin because of the hostility of the world. We're living in a day today. In fact, in the world today, there are people being arrested because they're proclaiming the name of Christ. Probably some will even lose their lives today because of the hostility that people have to the name of Jesus Christ. The world is not our friend. We have an assignment to witness to that world of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 18 says, As thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Folks, we're on mission. We've been given a mission. It's the same mission that Jesus had, to seek and to save that which was lost. We can't save them, but as we bring them to him, he brings about salvation from sin. We have the same unity with Christ as Christ had with the Father. Look at verse 21. That they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. And the glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. So we have that same unity with Christ as Christ has with the Father. We have the same glory as Christ has with the Father. And then verse 23, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love me. Love them even as thou hast loved me. So Jesus is saying, living for the glory of God is what is imparted to us as we by faith begin to live out the Christian life People are pointed to Christ. Because everything that the Father is to Christ, Christ is to us. So as we are living, we are honoring. So it's a pattern of our relationship to him. If we will be to Jesus what Jesus is to the Father, then Jesus will be to us, as I said a moment ago, what the Father is to him. Uh, Jesus lived by a divine purpose. As you glance back through 17, verse 2 says, 
even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. His eternal divine purpose was to give eternal life to all of them given him by the Father. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. In John 17, seven times it, it uh, speaks of our having been given to Jesus by the Father. Given to Jesus by the Father. So Jesus began to seek out the love gift that had been given to him. So the love gift to the world, the love gift of God to the world is Jesus Christ. God said, I want you to love. I believe the Gospel of John has a little verse about that. Doesn't it say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So this divine purpose includes you and me. It includes mankind in the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and the divine purpose. The love gift of God to the world is Christ. And the love gift of Christ to the Father are Christians. So when we came into the kingdom, Jesus looked at the Father and said, I got you another gift. Now some of you are wrapped in prettier bows than some of us, but uh, uh, you know, it's a little humor. Uh, the, the The gift of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that God loves variety? Ooh, wouldn't you like... I hate to live in a world where everybody looked like me. <laughs> I take that as a yes. No, we, we need to see ourselves in the love gift of, that's been given to the world in Jesus Christ. So therefore, he comes and seeks and saves us. But isn't it marvelous that the pressure put on the Lord Jesus Christ never got in his way because he was fixed on the goal. He was fixed. We quite often get caught up in side issues, don't we? We get caught up in side issues. We need to keep our minds fixed on the Lord. We need to stay fixed on what God has ordained for us to do because he's given each of us certain gifts that qualifies us to be that child that through Jesus Christ we are living for the glory of God. And in heaven as we use those gifts, Jesus says to the Father, look at so-and-so down there. There you Implementing that gift, they're touching people, they're blessing people, they're doing the work that I started, they're continuing to do it. We're living for the glory of God. And Jesus lived by divine purpose, so God has ordained for us with a divine purpose fixed on following the pattern set by Jesus Christ. Jesus also lived by divine power. Verse 2, even as you gave, even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. How long is he going to keep us? Forever. Forever. Eternal. What a guarantee. What a guarantee. Even Sears doesn't have one better than that. 
seven times he, he speaks of us being given to him, but the power to accomplish all of this is delegated to him from the Father. And since all power has been given to him, even as he sends us out as his disciple makers, he's sending us out with that same type of urgency, with that same type of feeling. And so Jesus is living and equipping us to live that godly life, that glory-centered life. Isn't it great when you're out in the community and somebody says to you, do you know brother or sister so-and-so in your church? Yeah. Let me tell you about what they did. And they describe a blessing that you did that impacted their lives, and you can look back at them and say, they did it for the glory of God. They did it for the glory of God. You know, if people found out I'm down here trying to preach to you folks, it's amazing some of the stories they tell me about y'all. Oh, they're good. They're they're good, you know. Don't don't, don't take me wrong here uh, in the sense of what you're doing and through the years, the things that have happened here by the divine power of God as he's worked through people. But the Bible also tells us here that Jesus lived by a divine plan. Eternal life, that they may know the only true God in Jesus Christ that you sent. Uh, When Jesus began to pray, and he was praying in this divine plan, he was praying, Father, the hour has come. So God's divine plan for him was being lived out in such a way that he knew that it was going to happen. He was tapping into the thought about his hour, and it's repeated, it's repeated several times in the Gospel of John. So how do we do this? Well, first of all, we ought not let anything distract us. We ought not to let anything distract us. Some folks are very easily distracted. Others have great concentration and can stay with it. Uh, I get tickled at my, my wife when I'm watching basketball on uh, uh, TV. And uh, every now and then the guy's, you know, supposed to be a perfect player, except for miss a foul shot, a free throw. And I'll say, you didn't concentrate. So Vicky will say, you didn't concentrate. And I'll say, thank you very much. And uh, uh, so that, that carries back to my days trying to play a little and coaching some. But one of the things that we always talk is you've got to stay focused, concentration. Nothing should distract you. I think I told you we were singing in Roanoke, Virginia, the men's glee club that I was a part of in college. We were singing on a Sunday night. The place was packed out. All the seats were right down at the front. No other seat in the house. We were singing our opening hymn, and the doors at the back of the church opened, and one of the most beautiful women I have ever seen in my life walked through those doors. And as she walked down the aisle to be seated, there were 22 of us, all guys, all men, men's glee club. All of us forgot we had a director. And so we, all of our eyes just followed all the way down the aisle. We watched her sit down. And when Mr. Dr. White gave the cutoff, he looked up at us and said, what's going on? And then he turned around, looked over his shoulder and said, not bad, not bad. 
distract you. It's easy to get distracted if you're not concentrating on what's going on. Three nights later, we were singing in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we were singing in a choir loft that seated 80. Now, remember, there are 22 of us. So he had a row between each row, and then he had three seats on either side of you. Now, you're talking about concentrating. If you weren't on pitch or you missed a note, he could hear you because it's like there are 22 soloists singing. But you're singing your part. Those kind of, We need to be so focused that nothing can distract us. Secondly, nothing should destroy us. You know, people were seeking to harm Jesus, weren't they? They were constantly, and they ultimately did, by nailing him to a cross. We look at things sometimes, and Satan will send fear, or we'll, we'll start to doubt about something. But folks, when you're living in the center of God's will, according to his plan for your life, let me tell you, nothing's going to hurt you. In fact, he's given you a garden angel, and when you start to get in trouble, he'll probably bring along some of his buddies. Now, I'm not saying you go out and tempt the Lord. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. But fear comes sometimes, thinking that if I do this, I'm going, something's going to happen to me, something's going to happen to my family. When you live according to God's plan, nothing is going to destroy you. Our lives are going to hold until we have completed God's work for them. Now, if you don't know God's work for your life, get to know it. God has a wonderful plan for your life as a lion and a soul winning thing that Campus Crusade did for years and won people to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing should discourage you. Jesus is talking to the Father. As he's talking to the Father, it's kind of a pre-Gethsemane experience when he's praying. Uh, Jesus, I'm sure, thought about the anguish that was ahead of him. I'm sure he thought about the fact of knowing what was going to happen and how he was going to be betrayed, how he was going to be reviled against, all of the evil things that were being said and pointed against him. I think he was coming through in such a way that he would not become discouraged. Trouble, but he didn't let that overwhelming anguish dissuade him from the task. Just never let it happen. Now, I know there are a lot of Bulldog fans discouraged today. <laughs> but there are a lot of Tigers that are growling like they really did something. Uh, and if you can't figure out that difference, ask somebody after church. I'm talking about animals. That's all I'm talking about here. You know, how we do things, we kind of transfer those things over, see those things kind of happen. But if we aren't careful... We'll let the distractions destroy to the point of discouragement to where we will not stay focused on what our main purpose is. Now, if your main purpose is to go down to Athens and tell the coach what to do in order to win the next ball game, you better get started today because it's going to take all week to get ready. That crowd disappeared, didn't it? <laughs> we must not let our lives reach the point of discouragement to where we don't know how to deal with it. 
But disappointment is another thing that we have to look at. Jesus said the hour is coming. He said to the disciples, you're going to be scattered. You're going to be scattered, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. You ever felt like you're the only person? Nobody else knows about you. Nobody else cares about you. You're just to the point of disappointment that I, you, you just wish, I just wish somebody would come along that's a friend. I just wish somebody would come along that somehow or another I could sense that I wasn't by myself. Folks, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're never alone. Never alone. There's always the presence of the King of glory, Jesus himself, so alive in you. Even though trouble, Jesus never let that overwhelming anguish dissuade him, move him away from the task that he was called on to do. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have just called one. And he'd have come down from Calvary. But he didn't. He didn't. He was the one and only that was acceptable unto God for the crucifixion and the blood of a perfect human sacrifice paying the price for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of all mankind. In fact, the Bible says that in his praying, literally, before he was arrested, great sweat drops of blood, capillaries rupturing, and blood oozing from his body as he was praying and staying in the will of the Father. We don't pray that way, do we? We need to try to learn how to pray that way, not just so we can say we pray like Jesus. Anytime you go to the Father, you're praying like Jesus, like he called us to do. But don't let things discourage you. Our task is, We've been given the work. He said, keep them, Father, as you've kept me. I want to keep them. We've been given the task that he has let us continue since he has ascended back to the Father. So don't become discouraged. Don't let yourself be disappointed. Looking for a friend. Sometimes, as I said, you feel like you're the only one that understands what God wants you to do. But you cannot be disappointed if you're in his will. <clears throat> cannot. You are doing what the Lord wants you to do. I am uh, reminded of that quite often as I see things going. Have you ever been disappointed? Four people. Four people have been disappointed. Uh, all of you who've never been disappointed, would you give me your names and addresses? i got a sermon I need to preach and disappoint you. Now think about it. Just think about it. I've been disappointed. I was a freshman in college. I did not have an automobile. Small church over in Banks County had, uh, uh, by the way, congratulations, Pepper, you beat Banks County Friday night. Football. Uh, I had a, my first church was in Banks County. And I was up in Cleveland and I had to get down to Commerce area, Jefferson, well, not over to Jefferson, but more to the Homer area of Banks County than uh, anywhere else to the Beaverdam Baptist Church. And my roommate had a car, and he had agreed to, I'd pay him, I could use his car on Sundays because it's the only day I was going. So I called my dad and told him about the situation. He said, Well, I'll look around, and uh, you come on home next weekend, and uh, we'll see what we can find. And 
I said, okay. So I came home that weekend, and he said, Mr. Martin's got a car for sale. We knew the Martins. Uh, his son Johnny was a couple years older than myself. And so I said, all right, let's go see it. So we went driving over there. Now, you got to remember, uh, I, I was at the age I am now. I was then when I was a freshman in college. I was much younger in those days, much better looking. And, uh, oh, I know you're disappointed, but you don't have to react that way. Uh, so we drove in over there, and there it was. A 1940 Ford convertible had just been repainted black and had just been re-upholstered in white and had a brand new white canvas top on it. 52 Mercury engine, V8, fly low. We took it out and drove it. My dad was a professional auto mechanic. Nothing wrong with it mechanically. What do you think? I said, oh, I'd love to have it. He said, well, i tell you what. You go on back to school. I'll see what I can do this week and work out something. We'll just see if we can't buy it for you. Just come on home next Friday. So the next Friday I got a ride and got out of the car. They dropped me off at the house, and I was walking down to go into the front door, and I looked over where we parked the cars. And sitting over there next to Dad's car was a 1954 Pontiac Star Chief, four-door, straight eight-block engine in the front of it. Looked like a funeral home family car. <laughs> solid white, solid white. <laughs> so I walked in the house, and I said, whose car is that? Dad said, it's yours. I said, what? He said, I got to thinking about you driving up in that 40 Ford convertible with those straight exhausts. You go driving up in the parking lot of that church, and some of those folks would say, we got a hot rod preacher. <laughs> I said, let them say it. <laughs> Disappointed? Yeah. But not to the point to where I refused to drive the Pontiac. <laughs> you see, sometimes disappointment brings us into a situation, and God is in it. So that when it looks like it on the first glance, it's not where we ought to be and not what he ought to give. But it turns out in the ultimate to where it was the best thing that could have happened to us. And, and when we accept that as coming from God, we are living in giving glory back to him. And nothing should defeat you. Nothing should defeat you. You see, when the hour was approaching the goal was in sight. The purpose was before Jesus. This was his hour of glory. He could not be defeated because he was completed. The purpose of God and the plan was on schedule. The plan. Jesus said in verse 4, I have finished the work you gave me to do. Our goal is not to find out how much work we can do. It's to find out the work God has given us to do. And when we find that out, when it's completed, he will say, done. You remember on the cross? What was the sixth word of Jesus from the cross? Wasn't it finished? Done? And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He had completed it. And that's the way it is for you and me as we live in giving glory back to God. 
Now, you can only do that if you know who God is through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't understand this wonderful relationship of the Father, Son, God relationship that is ours. But then there's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who comes and speaks to our hearts in perfect righteousness and perfect holiness. And here we stand with our robe of sin that's not been forgiven. And we feel this, this i got to do something with this. That's called conviction. That's called turn it over to Jesus. He said, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, I will forgive you. I will save you. I will bless you. And he stands ready to do it. This may be your day of salvation in Jesus Christ. You may be here and you made that decision somewhere, but you've never become a part of the church alive for Jesus. You ought to join a church today. If you are forgiven and never been baptized, you need to come. Follow through with that as Jesus, not because he had confessed sin, but because he was giving us a picture of the church working together, not washed in water only, but washed in the blood of the perfect Lamb of God.